We're in the middle of a series called Ripples. The ripples are just fascinating to watch as you watch the circles go wider and wider. But as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, ripples don't just happen in lakes and ponds. Ripples happen in our lives, too. You see, how we live our lives often impacts others. I remember when my mom died, standing in the receiving line. Probably some of you have had these kind of experiences as well. Standing in the receiving line, meeting people, and many of them telling me about the impact that mom had on them. A lot of these people I'd never met. And probably most of those people had never told mom the impact that she had on them. But again and again, I heard people talk about the difference that mom made in their lives. You see, when you live your life for Jesus, the ripples of that go farther than you ever realize. The ripples of of what that life that has been lived for Jesus, the ripples of what that looks like and, and how that works out in life, the ripples of that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ many times goes out further and further than you ever know. So in this series, we're looking at five ways to multiply your life. We've looked at the first two already, and if you've missed a message, you can watch those online at www.mountarybaptist.com. All of our messages are are, uh, videoed, and so you can go back and watch any message that you'd like to see again or that that you've missed at mountarybaptist.com. So we've talked so far about two ways to multiply your life. Here's the third one today. If you really want to multiply your life, here's the third way. Be a disciple maker. If you want to see the circle grow larger and larger... Be a disciple maker. Now, before you think that you can't do that, I want you to look at this definition down below where it says God uses everyday people to help others become devoted followers of Jesus. That's what I mean by being a disciple maker. That God uses what kind of people? Everyday people to help others become devoted followers of Jesus. Now, don't let that term disciple maker make you think that you don't have what it takes or that you can't pull this off. You see, when Jesus gave the command to make disciples, he made this declaration. We put it on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted or given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, notice this, I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. Surely, he said, I am with you always. Do you understand that the same Jesus who calls each of us to make disciples is with us every step of the way? That the one who is commanding you and instructing you to make disciples said, but you don't have to do it on your own. If you're willing to take that leap of faith, if you're willing to try to make disciples, I will surely be with you always. And what, what you'll find is when you don't know what to say, it will amaze you how the right words will come out of your mouth because Jesus said, surely I am with you always. When you feel like you're not making a difference, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit will encourage you when you need it most. When you don't have the ability to meet the need of the person you're discipling, you'll be amazed at the power of simple prayers prayed in faith. You see, here's what you need to understand about disciple making. You are not alone. God doesn't want you to work for Him. God wants you to work with Him. Surely, I am with you always. 
I understand that word with in a very profound way now. Some of you have heard this story, but around three years ago, Jonathan and I went skydiving to celebrate his 18th birthday. And from the time that we arrived at the hangar, we were with someone who knew how to skydive. From the very moment we got into the hangar, first of all, they started putting on the gear, and we were with someone who knew how to skydive, and they were putting the gear on for us. And then they walked us out to the plane, and as they walked us out to the plane, if you'll look at the picture, every instructor has their hand on the person they are with. That person in the very back is Jonathan and his instructor, and she has her hand on him. She is with him every step of the way as they walk towards the plane. And when you get in the plane, they sit right directly behind you, as close as any human can sit to you, sit with you. They are right there with you every step of the way. And the plane climbs to 14,000 feet, and when you get to 14,000 feet, you jump out of the plane connected to someone who knows how to skydive. It's called tandem skydiving. Tandem skydiving is simply this. A student skydiver, in this case Jonathan, is connected by a harness to a tandem instructor. Let me show you what that looks like. Look at this next picture. So when you go out of that plane, you are grateful that there is somebody with you who knows how to skydive. And that's a tandem skydive. The instructor guides the student through the whole jump from exiting the plane to free falling. You're traveling at that moment about 120 miles an hour. And when, when the earth is quickly coming towards you, you are grateful you have somebody with you who knows how to skydive. And then piloting the canopy down towards the ground and finally landing in the whole process, you have somebody with you who knows how to do it. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have jumped out of the plane, nor would I have let him jump out of the plane if we were doing it by ourselves. The thing that gave us confidence was the fact that we were connected with someone who knew how to skydive. Can I apply that to Scripture, ladies and gentlemen? We make disciples the very same way by working in tandem with an all-knowing, all-powerful God. He says, surely I am with you. That's how God uses everyday, ordinary people to help others become devoted followers of Jesus. That's the reason that everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus can help others become followers of Jesus. It's not because of how good we are. It's not because of how much we know. It's not because of how talented we are. But it is because of who is with us. The one who is with us can enable us to do what we normally could not do. You see, see, see if you'll agree with this, we're pretty much flawed people, aren't we? Very fragile human beings. And what we have to offer somebody else will never be enough to really change their lives. Oh, we might be able to offer somebody encouragement. We might be able to offer somebody uh, some kind of assistance. But what we have to offer someone will never be enough to change their life. But remember, when we're making disciples, we are not pointing people to us. We are pointing people to Jesus. When you live that way, the impact of your life becomes greater and greater and greater, and the circle becomes wider and wider and wider. Now, this whole concept of making disciples is not new. 
This concept of making disciples has its roots all the way back in the Old Testament. You go all the way back to the Old Testament to the people of God as they were coming out of slavery in Egypt, and as they were getting ready to go into the promised land, God stopped them before they went into the promised land to say, there's one thing I want you to do. And God explained to them, basically, how to make disciples of those closest to them. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Would you open God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 6? Deuteronomy chapter 6. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to his people as he prepares them to enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. They've come out of slavery in Egypt. They're on the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And now Moses is preparing Joshua and the people to go in. And I want you to notice what is said in chapter 6 in the first two verses. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Now, I don't know if you called it, so I want to make sure you get this. Get your pen ready. There's something you probably want to mark. Moms, there's something you're going to want to mark in your Bible. Dads, I hope that you'll mark it as well. It's in verse 2. It's the ripple effect. It's right there in verse 2, this ripple effect. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you. So that you, your children, and their children. That's the generational faith transfer. That's that ripple effect from one generation to another generation to another generation. I want to tell you something. Listen very closely, and I bet some of you will agree with this. The one thing that means more to me than anything is that my kids share my faith and carry on my faith in the Lord long after I'm gone. I can't think of anything else that I desire more than that. That the faith that my mom and dad had in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now have. It's my personal faith now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want my son and I want my daughters to have that same faith. I want them to walk with Jesus. I want them to serve Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. And I want them to do it in such a way that if God ever gives them children, that they will walk with Jesus and they will serve Jesus and they will love Jesus. And I can't think of anything else I want more than that. But it's getting harder and harder to do that, isn't it? The land in which we are living is quickly changing. Just like in Moses' day, they were about to go into a godless land with a godless culture. Much like the land we live in today. They were about to take their kids into an environment where Those who worship the one true God were a minority. Did you hear that, church? They were about to take their kids into a land where those who worship the one true God 
were a minority. They were about to take their kids into a land where they would experience temptations like their parents and grandparents had never known. They were about to go into a pagan, godless land. And as they were getting ready to go into that pagan, godless land to take possession of it, God said, there's one thing I want to make sure you know. You need to make sure that you pass on your faith to your kids. Because they're going to be in an environment that will fight against that faith. In that environment, they, they need a faith that's real. In that environment in which you're living, they're going to need a faith that sticks. And I don't know if you agree with me or not, but if there is ever a time when our kids need a faith that's real, it is today. Your kids, my kids, our kids, they need a faith that sticks because they are growing up in a country and in a culture that has quickly turned its back on God. We have turned a blind eye to the faith of our founding fathers and a deaf ear to the God that they served. So how can you help your kids be devoted followers of God? How can you work in such a way in your home to make a difference and an impact so that ripple effect continues to grow for generations? How can you help your kids, regardless of their age, be devoted followers of Jesus in that kind of world? Well, Moses gave some instructions to his generation and to ours in Deuteronomy 6. There's two things I want you to grab today. I hope you'll write these down. Two things that will help you to live your faith and pass it on to your family. And here's the first one. Number one, fall in love with God first. Fall in love with God first. Look, pick up the story in verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Would you notice the word your, Y-O-U-R, how many times it's repeated? Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Before Moses ever tells parents how to keep their kids in love with God, he says, it's got to start with your love for God. Making disciples starts with genuinely living out your faith. And if your love for God is not real, if your love for God is not included in your everyday life, then your kids will not have a model to follow. So Moses is trying to help the people understand that if you want your kids to love God, then it starts with you loving God. You can't ever pass down what you don't have. You can't transfer to the next generation what you don't live. You can't expect your kids to be different from what they see in you. Moses is trying to help the people understand that kids will follow the example that they see in the home. Now, let me prove that to you. How many Clemson fans do we have here today? Raise your hand. Clemson? All right. How many Carolina fans? Okay. How many Tennessee fans? 
There's a one or two godly people in the audience. I see that. I see that hand. I'll just use Clemson since they're in the majority. You could also use this with Carolina or Tennessee or whoever. If you are a Clemson fan, it's likely, not, not necessarily a, a done deal, but if you are a Clemson fan, it's likely that your parents were Clemson fans. And now your kids love Clemson because they've seen you love Clemson. Think about how this has been passed down. I mean, a lot of you grew up with your daddy taking you to the Clemson ball games, And you went to every home game. And now that you're grown and you have kids, you're taking your kids to the Clemson ball games. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing that in any form or fashion. But you know what? You're starting to see your kids love Clemson because they've seen you love Clemson. It's become a generational thing. You love Clemson because your parents did. They love Clemson because you do. They've seen you love Clemson, so now they love Clemson. And I just was thinking about it. If we ever get to the point where we teach our kids to follow Christ with the same devotion we teach them to be football fans, we will indeed be making disciples. Because from the earliest of age, you trained that child, didn't you? When they were babies, they had orange on. They had orange booties on. From the earliest of age, they had their picture made with Clemson colors. They went to the, uh, the fan days. They got their pictures made with the players. From the earliest of days, they had an autographed football. I mean, you worked on this. You concentrated on this. You love Clemson, and you wanted them to love Clemson too. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except, Sometimes we make our children disciples of Clemson or Carolina or Tennessee, and we don't even think about making them disciples of Jesus. What if we use that same strategy on our kids regarding our faith? What if we had that same commitment regarding our faith? What if your kids saw such love in your heart for God that they wanted to love God too? That's what this text is talking about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, because you can't ever pass it on to your kids until they see you loving God. And then the next word that I want to give you, the first word is fall in love with God first. The next word I want to give you is this one. Impress on your kids the importance of Scripture. Impress on your kids the importance of Scripture. If you really want to make disciples... It's not really that, that complicated. First, you love God, genuinely live out that faith. Number two, you impress on your kids the importance of Scripture. It's right there in the text, beginning uh, in verse 6. These commandments that I'm giving you today are to be upon your hearts. And then here's that word. You might want to underline it. Impress them, these commandments. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Again and again, he's giving examples of this is how you impress the importance of Scripture on your kids. And that word impress simply means to repeat. Have you ever had to tell your kids something more than once? 
Of course you have. And sometimes when it's really important, you tell them over and over because you want to make sure they get it. You want to make sure they remember it. You want to make sure that they are following through. And so you try to impress something on them by repeating it to them over and over. That's what this word means. Make sure that they know this. Make sure that they know how important this is. That's what the word is implying. Make sure that they realize the value of Scripture and that God's Word is applicable to everyday life. Impress these commandments on your kids. Don't just read them a Bible story, though that's fine. But he says, no, if you're really going to take the next generation and help them be devoted followers of Christ, and then perhaps the generation after them, then you've got to impress on them the importance of the Scripture. You see, ladies and gentlemen, nobody can have the influence in a child's life that a parent can. So you need to leverage that influence. Now, in in this day, did they have priests? Yes, they sure did. But they did not give this assignment to the priests. They had other religious and spiritual leaders, but they did not give this assignment to them. They gave this assignment to parents because they have the most influence in the home. There was a national survey conducted by the Search Institute that sought to determine what factors influence teens and their faith. Now listen to this. The most significant religious influence for Christian teens today is mom. In fact, mom was probably your first disciple maker in your life. Mom was the one who first told you about God, probably. She's the one who pointed you to the Scriptures. She was the one who, who not only held the family together, she was the one who helped you understand that our family loves God and our family serves God and our family is devoted to God. The most influential person in a family unit, according to this survey, is mom. The second most significant influence in a teenager's life is dad. And dads, you are important, but we're, we're, we're below mom. You already knew that though, Right? That's not new information. Moms and dads, this is interesting though in this study, moms and dads had twice the influence than anybody else on the list. Third on the list were grandparents, by the way. Grandparents are important too. Let me tell you where where pastors came in on the list. Pastors came in number seven. I don't know what four, five, and six were, I don't remember, but pastors came in number seven. Didn't encourage me when I read that. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to see the influence you have on those who are in your home. Now listen, you don't have complete control over your child, but you do have substantial influence, so use it. Imagine what it would be like if if you love God with all of your heart and you impressed upon your kids the importance of loving and obeying God too. Imagine the ripple effect. Perhaps for generations. If if we did two simple things. If you as the parent love God with all of your heart and then secondly, if you continually impressed upon your kids the importance of Scripture, the importance of knowing God's Word and living God's Word, if we just did those two things, if we were just loving God the way with, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and impressing upon our kids the importance of Scripture, imagine what it would be like maybe for generations. 
I saw something this week, I experienced something, uh, actually it was last week, that, that just so amazed me and encouraged me and blessed me because I, I found a, a young lady who, who gets it when it comes to discipleship. Last week, it was the, the last of the semester at Anderson University where I've been teaching, and uh, in the very last class, I have a, a history of, or a habit of presenting the gospel. And so in my last class uh, of, the, of the semester, uh, I once again presented the gospel, and praise the Lord, three of my students prayed to receive Christ. Yeah, there's, that's a good place to put an amen, right? That's, that's just wonderful. And I was so blessed by that. We left class about nine I don't know, 9.05 or something like that. At 9.18, my phone buzzed, and I got this message from one of my students. She said, hey, I just wanted to offer any help or encouragement to anyone who received Christ today. If anyone is looking for someone to continue talking about receiving Christ or what, a grow, or what growing with Him is like, I would love for you to give them my phone number and just leave that open. And she gives the phone number. She says... Listen to this. She said, I'm not a perfect example of what it's like. I'm not a perfect example of what that is like, but God sure has done a great work in my life, and I would love to walk alongside anyone else who is seeking a friend in Christ. I almost started crying when I read that because I thought, here is a girl who gets it. She understands the value and the importance of discipleship, and though I can't prove this, I have a a big suspicion she learned that from her parents. But they poured into her. And now when she sees others coming to faith in Christ, she naturally thinks somebody needs to come alongside them. Somebody needs to help them be devoted followers of Christ. And she said, I'll do that. Here's my closing challenge to you. Don't just be a Christian. Be a disciple maker. If you want those circles to get larger and larger, if if you want your impact to grow beyond just you, don't just be a Christian. Be a disciple maker. Because here's what I know. God uses everyday people to help others become devoted followers of Jesus. That's who you are. That's who I am. We're just everyday people. There's nothing special about us. But there is something special about the God we serve. There is something special about the God that we know. God uses everyday people to help others become devoted followers of Jesus. Jesus said, come on, come on, come on. Surely, surely I'm with you always. You can do this. Just jump out. Just give it a try. Because I am with you always. Let me pray with you. Father, I, I pray over these parents as they think about their own kids. And Lord, none of us live a perfect life. I certainly don't. None of us are perfect examples. I'm certainly not. But may you give us a deeper desire just to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. To have a real, ongoing, loving relationship with you. And may that naturally then lead us to impressing on our children the importance of your word 
of knowing it and living by it. God, I pray for these moms and these dads that you might give them the confidence just to be more intentional in their faith, more deliberate in their faith, realizing and believing that surely you are with us always. And maybe, Lord, that there's somebody else in our sphere of influence, somebody else who needs somebody to walk with them, a new believer who needs somebody to walk beside them. Give us the courage to offer to do that with someone, maybe even this week. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.